0: It was December 24th on Hollis Ave after dark When I seen a man chilling with his dog in a park I approached him very slowly with my heart full of fear I Looked at his dog, oh my god, a ill reindeer But then I was illing cause a man had a bear And a bag full of goodies 12 o'clock had near So I turned my head a second and the man was gone But he must have dropped his wallet smack dead on the lawn I picked the wallet up but then I took a pause Took out the license and the cold says Santa Claus A million dollars in it cold, hundreds of G's Enough to buy a boat a metric car with ease but I never still from Santa cause that ain't right so I'm going home to Mela back to him that night but when I got home I bugged cause under the tree was a letter from Santa and the dough was for me Welcome to Sub Media Reviews, the podcast that never needs spoiler alerts because it takes you back in time to relive the nostalgia of classic TV shows and films that you've probably already seen. I'm your host, Kiara, and each week I'll dive into the archives to bring you my take on movies and TV shows from at least 20 years ago. From cult classics to forgotten gems, I'll review them all and give my honest opinion on their impact and whether or not they still hold up today. Join me as we revisit the iconic characters, memorable moments, and timeless themes that made these shows and films so special. So take a break from adulting and get ready for a trip down memory lane with submedia Media Reviews. What's up, Home Slices? Thanks so much for tuning in to SUP Media Reviews. I'm Kiara, and I'm stoked to review the 1988 action film that has us all asking. Is it a Christmas movie? Today we're diving into Die Hard featuring Bruce Willis as John McClane, Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber, AKA Professor Snape, and Reginald Bell Johnson as Sergeant Al Powell, AKA Carl Winslow. The movie is based on the 1979 novel, Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. Last year, everyone in my house watched all the Die Hard movies in order, but before then I had never seen them. And since I have limited experience with this movie, I figured I'd need a little help digging into this classic. So I invited my dad to join me. Say hi, dad.
1: Hey, Holmes Isis. Is what's happening?
0: You may remember dad from the reviews of Friday the 13th and Halloween. I'm really excited to have him here to share his perspective on this action film. So here are a few fun facts about the movie. The costume department had 17 undershirts in various stages of degradation on hand for Bruce Willis. In 2007, Bruce Willis donated John McClane's undershirt to the Smithsonian Museum.
1: Cool. That was pretty cool about the T-shirt. They call wife beaters if you want to it. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> the worst name for it. Awful, awful name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, that was. But that is the colloquial name, I guess you want to say. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of cool because was. It's kind of iconic. That'd be a cool costume if you, you know. <laughs> you'd have to be, uh, it'd be a, some stuff to go with that costume or some things you yeah. leave off without getting into too much. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. That's true. Would you be barefoot too? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I didn't want to get that away yet. But uh, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. I guess you would be. Your feet would be all yeah. ugh. Anyway, let's go. Yeah. That, that's a good part of the story.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, the second fun fact is that Alan Rickman, who plays Hans Gruber, nearly passed up on the role, which ended up being his first film role. He had only arrived in Hollywood two days earlier and was appalled by the idea of his first role being the villain in an action film. To a degree, Rickman was right to be concerned, considering his performance as Hans Gruber was so hailed that the actor had to struggle being typecast as a player of villains for much of his career.
1: Yep. He had to be on Broadway or not Broadway, but British theater or something. Yeah. He he came in and he smashed it too hard to be like just some new guy (laughs) showing up in Hollywood.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had read that it was either the writers or directors that actually saw him in a play playing a villain. And they were like, okay, this is Hans Gruber. So they got to experience him doing like a live performance. And of course, I know him as a millennial, as Professor Snape. But I also know Alan Rickman as, did you ever watch Something the Lord Made?
1: Mm, yes, yes, with uh, Montest. Uh,
0: yes, yeah, right. So he was in that too, and his voice is really distinct to me. Mm-hmm. His voice has this really good like quality to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he passed away last year.
1: Alan Rickman did, or the year before. He, did. I think so. I think I might remember that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, for us millennials, he's you know Harry Potter's Professor Snape,
1: mm-hmm. but I for
0: for others, he's Hans Gruber, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> among other things.
1: Yeah, he's played. I was telling. Kiara, I mean, uh, maybe your sister in them, (laughs) about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He played Sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, okay. Which is the villain. Got some classic lines in that. He (laughs) he played like, he stole the movie, kind of, because the rest of the movie is just a rom-com with him and, I forgot to lead it, with Kevin Costner as Robin Hood. And I can't remember who played Maid Marian. Was that that the heroine? Yeah. And he kind of stole the movie, Alan Rickman, playing Sheriff of Nottingham there's a line, and I wouldn't recommend doing a movie movie, so he's a little cheesy, but he's got a line that Robin Hood comes in and saves the day and makes him look bad, so he gets back in his castle, whatever, and he's telling his staff and everybody, that's it. Raise taxes. Hang the guys in the, in the gallows and cancel Christmas. <laughs> you know, he, he was ranting. And it, it,
0: <laughs> so it
1: was just, it was good. He had a, several lines in that where he was just playing a great villain. Yeah, And he actually had this was the thing about the movie. He actually could use his accent, but for uh-huh. some I don't think Kevin Costner had an accent in it. They were in England. <laughs> was, I'm trying to remember the movie. The movie was, it was had a great soundtrack. It, this ground did great. Everything I do, I do it for you. you. You've heard the song, and it did great. And there was a couple other things, but uh, yeah, if you ever find a clip thing of him and, I'm sure there's something out here with Alan Rickman lines or so. But uh, yeah, he uh, played a, probably a great villain in the '90s.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. A fantastic actor. Mm-hmm. The third fun fact is, ironically, Bruce Willis in this movie is kind of sneered at for being an all-American hero by Hans Gruber. But Bruce Willis is actually more German than most of the villains in the film. Alan Rickman was English. Mm-hmm. Alexander Gudinov, who I think played Carl... Was Russian, yeah. but Bruce Willis was born on March 19, 1955, in West Germany to an American father and a German mother. Wow. So cool. He's like you know the most German person in
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> the movie. Yeah.
0: If you want to check out Die Hard, you can watch it on Hulu or Tubi as of the recording of this episode. So this is the point where we talk a little bit about our personal connections to the film. Dad, what is your connection to this film? Did you see it in movie theaters? Why do you think it's such a classic?
1: I didn't see it in the theater. I remember it had like a... Bruce Willis at the time was not a star star. He had a TV show. And this propelled him into superstardom. And it was like... Everybody was like, oh, my God. You know, I would hear people say, did you see it? Did you, you know, it got a lot of buzz on, on the streets, as you're going to say. But it came out 88. I was in the Army at just getting in the Army. So I didn't see it till probably 89 on video. But it's one of those, in the Army barracks classics. You put it on. You're going to have a room full of guys, girls stood watching. It and, it, you know, everybody will sit down and watch part of it or something. But that's my connection. And it's a guy movie, but there's some heartfelt stuff in here that woman would like and Erica, like my wife watched it with me and she enjoyed it. So, and she remembers it from back in the day, but uh, my connection is like most of these movies, it's with some guys, you know, that once I was in the army, it it was a good time. okay
0: Nice. Well, like I said earlier, I had never seen this movie up until last year, so I don't have a real strong connection to it, but I will acknowledge that it's a big part of popular culture. It's a big part of kind of action movie history. Mm -hmm. And, I feel like it's a big part of Bruce Willis's legacy as the original Jason Statham.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Just an action star. It, he. Yeah. When there was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone in the early '80s to the '90s, Bruce Willis came in with this and was able to get his, you know, it put him up there with the uh, with them as far as an action star. In his yeah. Career.
0: Yeah. And after I watched this movie, I understood a lot more references from Mm -hmm. other shows and things. And I'm like, oh, that's where that came
1: from. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
0: And I also understood the hype behind it. But I will also add that Bruce Willis, to me, comes off as like more of a regular type of guy. Right. And he makes the movie more relatable as opposed right. to, like, action stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he wasn't or, buff.
1: He wasn't real tall. Right, he was, right. Or he was,
0: Sylvester Stallone. He was
1: always yeah. balding. He always was yes. balding. Because <laughs> there was a TV show before that's called Moonlighting. And it was him and a woman was name was Sybil Shepard, blonde woman. And I uh-huh. can't remember the premise. Was he a private eye or she was a private eye and he was helping her? And he was a wise cracking cop or a private eye or something. He was pretty funny in it. But it was like an hour long show. It did it pretty good, but it, like that's where I first saw him. And he just popped on the scene then, and he, yeah. So yeah, like I said, he's more relatable as a you show him as a dad and a husband slash ex husband. And this, yeah, I get you on that.
0: Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. He just came off as like a regular guy who's you know was more attainable than an Arnold right. <laughs> right. or you know Sylvester.
1: Right. There's some especially Arnold. that. There's some movies where the opening scene is him just being huge. <laughs> you know, this, this, <laughs> it's just okay. We're going to show you how huge he is, and then we're going to go from there. And, and then uh, I to be like, okay, thank you. I mean, yeah, he's huge.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, I'm excited for us to talk about this movie. So let's get into it. All right all right so it's the opening scene of the movie and on christmas eve new york city police department detective john mcclain arrives in los angeles hoping to reconcile with his estranged wife holly at a party held by her employer at the nakatomi corporation there are a few things about this film that let you know it's from a different time period john mcclain is on a plane with a gun (laughs) and also we flip over to the holiday party and a pregnant lady Is asking if it's okay to have an alcoholic beverage. Did you catch that? Yeah,
1: that was, I was like, I heard that. I was like, maybe she was joking, but I don't know. That was a little weird.
0: It was, it was.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. But I do want to point out that while we, you know, get a glimpse of this holiday party, there is a young man there named Ellis who is flirting with Holly at work. Mm -hmm. It seems that he knows that her marriage is going through a hard time. Yeah. And he comes back a little bit later. We also see that John and Holly have two children and that she isn't referring to John as her husband anymore. Right. So right. we're able now to we see Now we got to go
1: back a little bit. All right. Go ahead. So he goes to the, when he gets off the plane, he's got a limo driver.
0: Yeah, I'm getting okay. there.
1: Okay, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But yeah, they're struggling in their marriage. That's a big part of the kind of like background exposition of what's happening in this film. We also see, I don't know if you picked up on this, that John is having a hard time keeping his eyes to himself when it comes to multiple ladies (sighs) in the opening scene of this movie. (laughs) There's like uh, some weird eye contact he makes with the flight attendant.
1: Yeah. Well, I think what some of this is, is the California, they're doing the New York, California thing. And he kind of alludes to that later on. Where he goes, oh, yeah. And he's going to the airport and somebody, I think that's the point that we're trying to make. I don't know if he was being a, you know, just checking out the ladies, but I think they wanted to show the California difference or something or him or making show him he's from New York. He's not used to, you know, I don't say beautiful women, but, you know, California women.
0: That's an interesting take. Yeah. Okay. So John at this point is driven to Nakatomi Plaza by a limo driver named Argyle, a young talkative black man. And during the ride to the plaza, we find out that the limo is decked out with the latest technology in 1988, mm-hmm. and that he, he still lives in New York City, despite his family now living L.A.
1: Right.
0: He claims that his job as a cop in New York is what's keeping him in New York, but Argyle kind of calls his bluff, mm-hmm. and is right, like, yeah. you didn't expect Holly to do as well as she's doing right now, mm-hmm. and you thought she would come crawling back to
1: here. <laughs> Yeah, And he cops he yeah. to it, basically. Yeah. He kinda, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like Argyle, I don't know if this movie started it, but an action movie. he didn't start it, but you usually have a, I guess, comic relief kind of guy, a fast talk, and usually it's somebody of some other ethnicity,
0: mm-hmm. black
1: or Asian. If you think back to Indiana Jones, they had a little Asian kid and mm-hmm. a fast talking kid or some kind of comic relief, and this guy was, he was it, you know, he wasn't a, a movie a lot, but uh, he had his parts, and and I always liked this, this kid as an actor, I thought I would see him later but I've mm-hmm. never seen him again, I don't, if he's grown up and looked different. But yeah, there's always somebody that's, you know, going to be having you laughing. You know, you have a character like that.
0: Yeah, I like this character a lot as well. Also, during this drive, the limo driver plays Christmas in Hollis by Run-D.M.C. Yeah. Which I, <laughs> Fantastic. which I thought was pretty funny.
1: Yeah, that was pretty good. They're making it a point to know that it's Christmas time, which you don't really know until we get to the building. I don't think it was any. Was there anything else before that that indicated it was Christmas time. Well, they might have said that when they were talking for the holidays or something.
0: I feel like at this point, we know it's a holiday party. Yes. Yeah, so maybe the decor at the party.
1: Well, yeah, Before, but I'm saying before, he's still in the car and it, we did see the holiday. That's right. We did see a scene from that. Okay, I got you. But they make a point to let you know. And I think a lot of this probably comes from the book because it all blends, yeah. it blends really well. You're like, okay, this is a fantastic story and mm-hmm. how it comes together. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the story is actually very mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Okay, as Argyle drops John off, he offers to wait for McLean in the garage and make arrangements for him based on if he's able to reconcile with Holly or not. So yeah. that's some good customer service. <laughs> right, right, right. Argyle gives John the number to the car phone in the car. Did I, I don't know why car phones are so funny to me. <laughs>
1: Your grandmother had one, and a little looked like it was like a little satchel. And that Mercedes, <laughs> your grandmother had. She had a little car phone for a while, and he, he had to carry it around. It felt like a, you carrying around a bomb. It was big enough to be. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was weird.
0: A, a suspicious
1: breather. Right, right. Know. It wasn't huge, but it was big enough to be somebody. If you brought it out right now and you it kept it close, and my, what is that? And you wouldn't. They would not guess a phone. Nobody would be able to guess. There's a phone in there. You can just think it's. It looked like what do you call that? Thing you use for storing, what is it? Something you would put.
0: Oh, CPAP. Yeah, it looked like a CPAP <laughs> case or something
1: like that when it's sealed <laughs> up. But uh, yeah.
0: That's interesting because I have so many questions about car phones. We don't have to get into it now, but <laughs> it's like you had to pay for an additional line of service. How was that powered? Did you yeah. charge it?
1: The one Grandma had was a cell phone. It was a cell phone, but it was a thing. And it was kind of big, and you plugged it in the car, and and then it was expensive. She didn't keep it long. <laughs> She so didn't keep it up long, but like something like that in a limo. I don't know how they did that. That really, I mean, and you had to have the capability to transmit and receive. So it must have been special antenna. But uh, all the other stuff in the limo cracked me up too. He said, I've got VHS, I've got a bar and I got it. Yeah, dude, it's a limo. It's supposed to have all that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was good to see the throwback stuff in there. That was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I thought that was nice. Well, the Nakatomi Plaza is a nice office building that's partially under construction and is where basically everything in this movie happens. So I found out that at the time of filming, the building was actually the headquarters of 20th Century Studios. So the studio could use one of its own buildings and didn't have to hold back on stunts and action sequences. I also read that they had to do most of the filming at night because the employees of twentieth century studios were complaining about the noise. And it's like, Yeah, y'all can we make but this is a workplace. Right, right.
1: <laughs> In your movie studio, you okay, yeah. Okay. Hilarious.
0: <laughs> yes. So at this point in the story, McLean tries to get settled in at the holiday party. And we can tell that he feels a little bit out of place and upset. And this is partially due to the fact that he realizes that his wife is not going by her married name. Mm. She's using her maiden name, Janara, which comes back a lot in this movie.
1: Yeah.
0: We also feel like he doesn't kind of fit into the corporate setting. Of course
1: not. And that's not the theme, but that's... Not a fish out of water, but he's just out of place. And he's, mm-hmm. they're corporate and proper. And he's like, hey, let's just get this done. He's not, you know, he wasn't an a hole about it, but he was, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. When he gets to the building, though, it, they make it a point. Did you like the technology?
0: <laughs> yes, the directory. <laughs> yes.
1: That was pretty <laughs> hilarious. I, I hadn't seen it in a while, especially from the beginning. When I saw it, I said, oh, wow, that is hilarious. <laughs> and, but yeah. when we saw it back in 88, 89, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah that's good stuff yeah oh yes and also by the time John gets there people have already had too much to drink right like
1: yeah Party's the impulse. party is
0: way in effect right yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes so John eventually gets greeted by Mr katagi who is Holly's boss mm-hmm. and when he takes John to Holly's office they find Ellis the guy who has a little crush on Holly mm-hmm. doing coke mm-hmm. on Holly's desk mm-hmm. right and I'm like, what the heck is
1: this? <laughs> Just like you have become a grief guy. You already got to have a jerk in the office that everybody's got to hate. But it's not a villain. But everybody kind of is like, look at this jerk. And he's, you know, so he <laughs>
0: he's cannon fodder. Right.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, I had forgot how much of a pain in the butt this guy was. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I was like, whoa. And Mr. Takagi kind of like low key is like, hey, this is Holly's policeman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Coke-snipping dummy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But suddenly Holly comes into her office and we can see and feel the tension that they have, mm. which is only made worse by Ellis being a condescending butthole to John. Right. Pointing out like, oh, Holly's doing so well here. <laughs> you know, she did so well that she has a Rolex. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, talk basically about the wine. You yeah, be yeah. able
0: to afford that. Yeah. yeah. He was being a, a butthole about that. Yeah. Briefly, John and Holly talk while he's changing clothes so he can get into something more appropriate for the party. And you can tell that they still love and miss each other. She invites him to stay over at the house with Mm. her and the kids. And, you know, for a small moment, it looks like there's hope for them Mm. until John brings up her last name Mm. and using her maiden name, and they start arguing again. I want to point out how awful the decor is (laughs) in this little room. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So back in the day, people had big offices with bathrooms mm. attached and that may still exist somewhere, but I work yeah. in a corporate environment and no. it's very much like everyone has a desk in an open space. People rarely have offices and when they do, they're actually pretty small and it's more about like collaboration and being able to walk up and talk to people. And so like the offices are not big like that and like no one has their own bathroom anymore.
1: Yeah. This was the eighties and big was the thing. Have you ever had the corner office with the great view mm-hmm. when you're, private bathroom and yeah yeah and you had separate spots for snipping coke off the table <laughs> <laughs>
0: why would he do that in holly's office i'm sure he had his own office
1: right just being a douche i <laughs> guess i don't know
0: <laughs> but yeah the bathroom and office area where holly and john were arguing had the most awful gold wallpaper everywhere there was yeah. carpet in the bathroom <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> i think they were trying to show this is a company that's doing well mm-hmm. all the trappings of the financial success and mm-hmm. they were all And you maybe they said it's a celebration because they've had a great year right and they've landed this they've done that and you can see they're celebrating everybody is like hey we're, we're doing great we're we're killing it and, and you know yeah yeah. And they, yeah they were enjoying themselves so and it kind of builds up to be you know oh you're going to get taken down a notch you know yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to go down and you're you're going to be you know not put back in your place but you're going to be knocked down a few pegs
0: Right. So eventually Holly gets whisked away during this, you know, disagreement. Mm -hmm. And in a separate scene, we see a large delivery truck and a Mercedes pull up to the plaza. The guys in the Mercedes kill the security officer at the front desk quite easily. And the dudes in the delivery truck get the signal to move. I do want to point out that I will call this group basically the henchmen. Throughout, okay, okay. Throughout this, because okay, the okay. <laughs> they're not terrorists;
1: they're not just you right. know technically. But I get Hatcherman's school. I like that one.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, and the music is iconic too. As mm-hmm. Soon as your truck comes, is when the movie sound the score comes in, and it's when you hear that, you know, oh, that's how I Die Hard. Yeah, it, it has that that military, but you know, coming in and so that you probably heard that somewhere. Somebody probably used it to show something. And you probably are you the talking about
0: dun, 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 dun,
1: dun, dun, dun. no not, not no, an actual song. Okay. No, okay, the actual song okay that's later but the actual score the actual okay I don't know who the music guy was but whoever did it was known and this is his sound I just know the sound so but it was cool and like with horror movies also you know something's mm-hmm. gonna happen here All come right. the guys here come the right. bad guys so yeah I always thought that was right on time and it was a good way to bring them in
0: yeah yeah it's a good foreboding music right but, So, I want to point out also that one of the henchmen in the Mercedes is a black man named Theo. He's played by Clarence Gilliard Jr., who I recognize as Trivette from Walker, Texas Ranger.
1: That's where he's from. (laughs) I knew his face. And that's the same time period. That's around the same- Okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, that's where he's from. Was he like the-
0: He was also in Top Gun, but in Walker, he was his partner.
1: Okay, that's right. Yes. Okay. I knew I had seen him and I didn't like him in that either. But anyway.
0: <laughs> so my great-grandfather loved Walker, Texas Rangers, So I watched <laughs> it so often when I was at his house as a child. Mm. I watched it a little bit as an adult, like maybe one episode. And I was like, this is awful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was bad. I didn't like it so back bad. then. I was like, this is going
0: <laughs> But yeah, when I looked him up, I found out that he died last year, almost like to this day, as of the day of this recording. Oh, really? I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize How old was that he, he, he had passed remember? away. 67, 66? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know he had passed. But yeah, I remember seeing him a lot as a kid because we He was so unlikable
1: right in this movie. Oh, he was so unlikable. Yeah. I hated him from the beginning. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't like this guy. Yeah. I know he's one of the villains, but. I like Hans Gruber, you know what I mean? But yeah. I didn't <laughs> just didn't like the speed
0: <laughs> Yeah. There was something about him that was like almost a little too silly.
1: Right. And it was a, that's part of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, long story short, the tower ends up getting seized by a German radical named Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman, mm-hmm. and his heavily armed team. They're probably mm-hmm. 12-ish Of them, I think. I
1: think so. Yeah, that's the
0: number they said. Everyone in the tower is taking hostage except for McLean, who ends up managing to slip away because he was in that office getting dressed. Right. And I didn't realize how important it was that he was getting dressed because it explains why throughout the movie he is shoeless.
1: Right. And shirtless. Right. So and that becomes that becomes a whole theme. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, and also Argyle he's still there but he's kind of oblivious Mm -hmm. because he's in the parking garage enjoying all of the amenities in the limo (laughs) right
1: right right so they do a good job of keeping him you know as soon as you forget about him they throw him in there he's on the phone talking to a girl and then he's what was he eating or watching a movie or something and yeah they keep throwing you and it makes sense that he's still there because he's got a key point at the later in the film now i want to talk about the henchman a little bit you already touched on The guy from Walker, what was his name in the show?
0: In the movie? His name is Theo.
1: Theo, yeah. Him, and then you got Hans Gruber, who Alan Rick, we talked about him. Now, there is the long-haired Carl. He plays in a comedy, a movie with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. One of my favorite comedies is about them building a house. I am blaming you on the name of The Money Pit. Okay. And he plays an orchestra conductor. Okay. And Shelly Long is, is a violinist or something. And he plays her ex-boyfriend and he's funny in that. And he has his accent. So it was weird. I think Funny came out for to see him and then and then you see him he came in a lot of nineties movies as he can't hide his accent. So he's usually playing some kind of action mm-hmm. henchman or something. And then there's an the Asian guy with the long hair. Okay. He was a staple throughout the eighties and nineties being in movies where they're either getting killed or doing some karate moves. So he was typecast, that guy. And then there's a guy, this is strictly for the people that might be listening, that are my age, if they are, a guy that takes the place of the front desk guy. Uh-huh. Remember, he puts on the jacket yes. and everything. There's an artist called Huey Lewis. There's a band called Huey Lewis in the news. Uh-huh. That's, he looks so He looks like him and it, <laughs> it always bothered me. I said, he, that's how can a henchman look like Huey Lewis? <laughs> and so it, every time I see him, I was like, and that's whatever. Oh, Huey Lewis is about to get it. You know, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't remember his name. <laughs> so I just meant it. And uh, I remember a couple other henchmen that were would threw me off. Some of them were accented, and then there's some was like one guy was like a Italian mob guy <laughs> talking. I'm like, I said, well, this is a strange group of guys. It, <laughs> it is, but I guess maybe once you, I don't know, maybe he was able to get them together by a promise of big money. You know, yeah. But uh, it was a strange group of guys. But for the most part, most of them were German, is what I, we figure out.
0: Yes, all of them are are pretty menacing. Most mm-hmm. of them are over six feet tall. Another. Fun fact about the movie. Okay. So, yeah. But I think some of the, to summarize what's going on in the hostage situation, it kind of boils down to a couple of things for me. It turns out that Theo is the tech guy of the operation.
1: Right. And usually on these heist movies and stuff like this, there's a specialty guy that does stuff like this. And I want to say this movie is one of the early ones that say each guy's got to have a job and one guy's the explosive guy, one guy's the machine gun expert and one guy's the leader and one guy's the tech guy and one guy's you know they, they all have one guy's the funny guy even though i didn't, I didn't want too many funny guys in this no. group <laughs> they were all, all pretty serious <laughs> we're pretty what do you want to call heavies i guess you can call them mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah well he's using computers to secure the building to limit the elevator service and i want to point out that it's really nice to see a black henchman as the smart technically proficient one I feel like typically black henchmen in movies are mostly muscle. Yeah. So to yeah. see a criminal nerd who's black is it's <laughs> a little right. groundbreaking for me personally. Yeah,
1: it was an original role. Yeah. I just I- But uh, they made him so unlikable to me that I glossed over the fact that I knew he was a black guy, but I wasn't like impressed. I was like, he's he's a jerk. I don't like him. You know, (laughs) but but I see what you're saying. That usually black guys, it's just big guy in the background Mm -hmm. doing something. You know, it's physical. I get it.
0: Yeah, and he was actually probably the most important person to the actual task oh, yeah. that you know was right. assigned yeah. right and so yeah. um, like you said earlier there's a, a Huey Lewis looking henchman post as a, posted as a security <laughs> guard at the front yeah. desk and it looks like they are running a pretty tight operation under his oh, yeah. leadership and they cut the phone lines and everything so they jam yeah. signals people aren't able to get any real like communication out yeah so they end up entering the party guns blazing. And they round people up. And basically this Christmas party is the only people who are left in the building. Everyone else is, it's Christmas Eve. Everybody else has gone home Mm -hmm. and the building is partially under construction. So it's not like it's full anyway. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah. Earlier in the film, when John is on the plane, he's giving advice about balling his toes into fists to like relieve his nerves from flying. And that's why when he's getting changed for the party, he doesn't have any shoes on at that point because he's doing that little tip from the guy he talked to on the plane.
1: Oh, okay, Um, okay. I didn't realize. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so, like I said, McLean escapes to another floor right before the henchmen start checking out the office where he was and he's trying to find a way to call for help he's also able to peep what Gruber's team is working with in terms of manpower and weapons so he sees yes. that like they're well equipped they have like missiles and stuff like mm-hmm, they, right
1: they make it a point to show us it says missile on one of those on one of those containers mm-hmm. so and it has a lot of bearing on stuff later
0: right right so he's like he understands what type of manpower they have and how many weapons they have and like how serious the situation is. And so yeah. as the story moves along, we see that Hans Gruber is basically posing as a terrorist. He claims that he wants to demonstrate the real use of power to the greedy Nakatomi Corporation. And right. when Gruber whisks Takagi, the boss, away, we find out that he actually really wants the code key from Takagi to seal the $640 million in untraceable bearer bonds from the building's vault. So to everyone else, he's there you know, as a terrorist fighting some, you know, call for some cause or whatever. But he's actually just like trying to steal some money. (laughs)
1: Right.
0: Yeah. And we find out the significance of that later, which I didn't realize from the last time I watched. Yeah. John is nearby watching as Gruber is, you know, grilling Takagi. And Gruber gives Takagi a chance to give him the code. And he's, it doesn't work. And so he ends up shooting Takagi in the head. The effects on that were actually really good. Yeah. And pretty startling. But (laughs) Hans... Task Theo with breaking into the vault without the codes, which we find out has seven safeguards and will take about three hours to break into, except for the seventh lock, which is the most difficult one. But Hans has My a plan God. to take care of the seventh lock. And we find that out later. later. So John pulls the fire alarm to try to get some help to the building. But it also alerts the terrorists to the fact that there's somebody else here in this building. Yeah. so a henchman named Tony is sent to find him because they're able to tell which floor the fire alarm came from and McClain and Tony fight what do you think about mm-hmm. the fight scenes in this movie I guess this one in particular
1: they were pretty good and it made it like he wasn't like a fighting expert you know mm-hmm. and like we said before he's never he's not a huge guy full of muscles but I thought it was realistic enough that you're fighting for your life so it's not straight karate moves and mm-hmm. guy and kicks They were struggling with each other. Right. A lot of in-close and pretty graphic. And uh, I thought the overall fight scenes were pretty good.
0: Yeah. I think so, too. They did come across as realistic. Right. And even though... He's just like a regular guy. He is still a cop, so he still has right. you know that level some of- some kind of
1: skills, right? Right?
0: Yeah, those level of skills. So
1: right of grabbing people that want to be grabbed. You know, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people are resisting. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. So at the end of this scene, McLean and Tony kind of fall down the stairs, and Tony like breaks his neck. Basically, mm-hmm. is dead. So right. that is important later. But he ends up mm-hmm. taking Tony's weapon and radio. And a weird scene, he kind of sends. The dead Tony to Gruber special delivery via the elevator. Right. Wearing a sweater that has a note on it. And it says, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a little weird and kind of funny. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was definitely funny. But it, I thought once I watched it again, it's like, he didn't have to do that. He did? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he I, he still could have been, because they didn't know know exactly about him. Mm-hmm. But I guess he could have still kind of held something back to know how, you know, once once they've seen he's killed one of their guys, mm-hmm. maybe he was like, okay, this is showing I'm nothing to play with either. Mm-hmm. But as it really turns out, Tony is significant. I think that's why they, they had to do it for the movie to see why. Carl's a little upset about Tony getting killed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah, later we find out that Tony was the brother of another henchman named Carl, right. who was like kind of long blonde hair, who's instructed to wait before finding McLean. Hans recognizes yeah. that like Carl is- And he's like the number people. two
1: behind, right. behind Hans.
0: Right. But he's like, we have a goal here. Like we're playing the long game. We got to be mm-hmm. in this building for at least three hours so Theo can get through the vaults. Like you can't go- Guns blazing right now. We have to focus. Right. So at this point in the story, Theo has actually breached the first lock in the vault. Mm-hmm. But in a brief exchange between Holly and Ellis, Ellis feels like John may be jeopardizing the survival of the group because Holly rightfully assumes that it was John who killed Tony.
1: Right. She kind of mentions that to what's his name? Yeah.
0: Ellis. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. That's his name. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and this is going to come back later. But John mm-hmm. uses the radio to contact the skeptical Los Angeles Police Department. Right. And when Hans hears the radio traffic, three henchmen are sent to the roof where John is transmitting. He had to go to the roof because they were jamming signals and stuff. I guess, or that's where he figured, because later on. Well,
1: then uh, that were you, the best place to transmit. The higher you're up, higher up you are with the radio, the farther you'll get with your radio transmission. So in case the building interfered with it, that's why he went up there.
0: Yeah. I don't well, think they were
1: jamming because nobody okay. has cell phones and nobody has nothing in. So,
0: that's interesting because I saw them put a jammer on something. What were they jamming?
1: Because they, they cut the a, phone lines. Yeah. I don't know what a jammer looks like.
0: There was <laughs> some something that I presume to be a jammer or something because I think they literally said something about jamming something.
1: Okay, I and missed like that. The, I just thought he yeah. was, okay. I,
0: yeah, but. He, I
1: thought it was all explosive since <laughs> <laughs> the they were playing. Every time he put something down, that's going to explode later. That's going to explode later, yeah.
0: <laughs> maybe it was I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I think I did forget to mention that the henchmen were like doing bombs all around
1: right, the building yeah. as well. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, they do a great, like I say, this is a great storytelling. That's why you know it had to be from a book because it was detailed <laughs> about where they're, you know, they're putting stuff up, but they're not telling you exactly what's going on. -hmm. But it's clear later what's gonna happen and it's but you're you're still in the dark. I said, You're just thinking, Well, I guess they're gonna blow the building up, you know, but it's more detailed than that and it's Mm -hmm. he said, fantastic story.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So eventually Sergeant Al Powell, played by mm-hmm. Reginald Bell Johnson, is sent to investigate after he stocks up on an ungodly number of snack cakes for his pregnant wife.
1: Sure. Right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. That's what the, in the, the the clerk at the store was like, Yeah, right. Yes. You're a cop, you're yeah, getting snack sure. cakes. Yeah.
0: Yes. They were Twinkies, but they had something else on them. Was it like were, seeds or something?
1: I thought they were tasty cakes with a yellow icing on the top. And I don't know what they They were called.
0: They look like cookies to me. The ones with the yellow icing on the top. I haven't had them in a long time. (laughs) Yeah, you know what
1: I'm talking about there. Yeah, that's why I thought they were.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I do want to point out that I used to be a police dispatcher, and -hmm. those dispatchers were way too cavalier. Right. Like even when they heard the gunshots, they were like, "Mm, "Send somebody down there," and it's Mm -hmm. like, "You heard the gunshots." (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That didn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they wanted. They were trying to show, like, you know, he's the hero. You need to listen to him. And you don't listen to him. Bad things happen. And bad things did happen. Yeah. Or could it could be it's L.A. There's gunshots everywhere. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I was
0: like, look, I don't really buy into, like, the East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: like,
0: <laughs> the East Coast, West Coast beef. But right. I, I I don't think that the dispatchers in L.A. would just be so chill to disregard yeah. gunshots.
1: Yeah, yeah. Basically, that's yeah. whether they do the same thing. So he's going to be... And hence later he goes off and it's funny and it's, it's, you know, so he's a hero.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, McClane is running from the henchmen on the roof in the elevator shafts and the air ducts. We see some suspenseful moments where he almost falls. He's Mm -hmm. the elevator shaft is like a lot in this movie, (laughs) (laughs) a lot in this movie. We see him almost fall to his death in the elevator shaft, Mm -hmm. but he manages to uh, get out. I heard that that him falling in the elevator shaft was actually an accident from one of the stuntmen. Oh, yeah. He wasn't supposed to fall. Oh wow. But they ended up keeping it in the movie. But then great, we get great the iconic in this scene. Movie. Yeah. I will mm. say the stunts are pretty good. His stunt double, McLean's stunt double, is kinda okay in the film. okay. Like you can tell the difference. Right. But it's not super glaring.
1: Right. Yeah. I there was yeah. a couple of times where I, you know, said, yeah, here he is. But uh most times I didn't notice it.
0: Mm-hmm. But we get to see the iconic scene where he's in the air ducts and he uses the lighter to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, show yep. the way. Yeah. Which also means that he took a lighter on a Los Angeles <laughs> flight to Los Angeles. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Um, remember,
1: he, said, he didn't No, he got the lighter from the guy. Remember? guy? One of the guys he kills, he gets the lighter.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't pick he, that up. Yeah. I thought that was he his. He got the lighter. He yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 He, yeah. He got the right lighter bad. from the guy. And I remember yeah. that because he uses it a couple of times. <laughs> When he's smoking, we're running when He's smoking cigarettes. We're running because he remember he gets the cigarettes from the guy, and he gets the and he says something. He goes oh, at least these guys something the good taste and cigarettes are the Europeans or we have always have cigarettes or something. So I
0: think that's later. Is it later when he gets the cigarettes? Okay, I don't I just, know where he got the lighter from.
1: Yeah, I don't, but, but uh, he
0: had it on him, and he you know. Got uses around. it to, so he can see in the air ducts, and he says the iconic line, "Come out to the coast, mm-hmm. we we'll at <laughs> <the blast>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At this point in the movie, I recognize that a lot of things he says in this movie is done in this weird kind of sing songy,
1: yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah. A and he—that's a, a thing of his. He did that in that moonlighting show. Like I said he was really snarky in that show, but he was pretty funny. And his other movies, not the Die Hard franchise, but his other movies, he kind of he does stuff like that, but. It's part of his appeal. And he was, you know, he had, like, one-liners. He can deliver them better than Arnold and Sylvester, you know. Oh, so,
0: yeah. Because so. they sound awful.
1: <laughs> right, right. So, but uh, I noticed also with the, I didn't realize, it with the lighter, that's how the guy, when he looked down the elevator shaft, he didn't know where he was. And he hit the light, and he shows the little light coming from the air duct. I said, right. oh, for a while, I was like, how do keep finding him, you know, in this big <laughs> building? Yeah. But I said, they're smart, and then, you know, there was clues, so. That's another thing. These details can only come from a book and it, a good, I would think a good director and a good um, crew would be able to like, all right, that doesn't make sense. You they just keep finding them. You right. know, Let's make sure you get these details in the story flow and make it. Of course, it's unbelievable, it's, but it's a right. story, but you got to make it sense, make sense somehow. Yeah.
0: Right. I noticed that as well. and I was like, oh, that's how they found him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. So when Sergeant Powell, who is a bad driver, gets to the building, he talks to the fake security guard, but he doesn't really find anything suspicious, and he's low key over it. He's like, right. it's "Christmas Eve, I want to want to go home." Right. He actually was on his way home right. when he got this call. So in the meantime, McLean ends up killing two more henchmen. And that's when he finds a cigarette, I believe. Okay. But Powell is getting ready to leave the plaza until McLean, who's been trying to get the cops' attention, yeah. throws a henchman out of the window yeah. onto his <laughs> <Right>. police car. <laughs> and so Powell, who's freaking out, is like backing up, kind of erratically. Mm-hmm. The terrorists are shooting at him as he tries to get to safety, and he's able to request backup on the radio right before he has a pretty serious accident. He like backs yeah, his and, car and it goes down there. That- off of a. Ledge. yeah
1: yeah i said the action is, like i said this was one of the best choreographed action movies that came along and we were like oh wow that's pretty good and the, no the yeah. fact you said they were shooting at him okay wasn't just a guy with a gun shooting there was a guy in a window with a big machine gun which is right an m60 it looked like and i know that in the military and that i can do some damage so he was panicking back I, i think he did a great job like getting killed yeah. yeah but yeah <laughs> that was a that was when he goes over that it's not a cliff but it's just an Inkman, I don't know what like you a, would call a big
0: ledge, Marie. maybe eight feet, yeah. eight to ten feet, yeah. or something.
1: Yeah, I know I had to hurt. As far as yeah. even the stuntman or whoever.
0: Yeah, but Powell, of course, is a little injured from this. Mm. But we learn at this point that Hans actually expected the police and needs them to carry out his plan. Mm-hmm. But just then, John calls Hans on the radio and taunts him mm. while yep. he recovers their bag of C four and detonators. Yep. So, did you have any thoughts on the? Kills in this movie are not necessarily that notable to me, but with the one with him being under the table was kind yeah. of funny. You
1: know? Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, and there
0: yeah.
1: was the guy was talking junk on top of it. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Just shoot the whole table. You're, <laughs> I thought that was a little ridiculous. I mean, yeah. and he he ends up shooting him through the table. So I'm like, you got a small right. gun? What do you? You just he deserve to die. You're, you're you're a dumb henchman. So yeah. But the one thing you noticed when you said he uh, that uh, Powell got hurt. So, you remember they were, you know, he he was bleeding a little bit from the head, but then it, disa- uh-huh. it disappears. Yeah. It disappeared later. I was like...
0: I'm assuming he wipes it off.
1: But, I mean, he would still have a, you know... No,
0: that's right. No, no, no. That's right. Because when backup comes, mm-hmm. one of the police officers wipes it off.
1: Right. But I... Like, I he would,
0: starts administering first but aid. But he'd get a
1: bandage or he'd keep bleeding or something. I was like, eh, oh, yeah, That's true. Yeah, I was like, I said, oh, well. But, yeah. It, the, Maybe
0: he has a clotting disorder.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the kills were... Stuff he does with the bodies was funny to me. Just throwing him out the window, put him in an elevator. It, just, it was just kind of funny yeah. to me, yeah.
0: But yeah, Hans and John have that conversation on the radio, and he actually recovers a bag of C4 and detonators off of one of the henchmen that he killed. Mm. And he also grabbed the cigarettes at this point. Okay. By now, John's tank top is completely brown and disgusting. Yes. <laughs> I kept looking at like the degradation of the <laughs> of the tank top as time goes on. And I'm like, this is awful. What bothered
1: me more than just he was just covered in dirt that bothered me, his bare arms and stuff. I was like, Ah, that's got to, you know, but that's part of the thing. He's just he's in it. He's got no time to worry about mm-hmm. no dirt or no shoes, right. no, you know.
0: So that's the other problem I had with the movie. The first person he killed was Tony, and Tony had small feet, Mm -hmm. right? So he couldn't take Tony's shoes. He killed two more henchmen. Why didn't he try to take their shoes?
1: I know some of them, there was no time because there was more henchmen afoot. You know what I mean? There was more of them around. (laughs) But that's another thing. He never did try to get no more shoes. But I just thought most of them, there just was no time for him to try to do that.
0: I mean, he was sitting around having a conversation with Hans. He could have grabbed a shoe real quick. Would yes. he grab the C4?
1: I think his thing was, if I can't grab it quick, because I've just shot a guy, that means more henchmen are coming. I need to get out of this area. Mm-hmm. I just think you need I don't, like a lot of this, when we're watching it, I would like to read the book. Mm-hmm. Just to see, you know, how it came together. And maybe some of these details would be, you know, explained in the book. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah.
0: But during this conversation with Hans and John, John mentions how he loved Roy Rogers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... I had to look that up. Yeah, I, I know <laughs> so the name. And I that? know he
1: was a cowboy in movies and all that. Right.
0: So. Right. So, yeah, he was a cowboy in movies. And <laughs> at this point, he also says the other iconic line for the movie. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I, like, yes. Classic. It's hilarious. Yeah, classic. Yeah. It just, he's got a, like I said, he's got a way of delivering mm-hmm and I was reading something the other day. There's a line in this movie that was improvised. I don't think it was that one. I'd have to go back and find it. But I think he improvised a couple of lines here. But uh, Yeah.
0: I read that a, a number of lines were improvised in this yeah. movie. There's a reason for that, but it's not coming to mind mm-hmm. right now. In a weird side story... In this movie, a reporter named Richard Thurnberg Mm -hmm. is listening to the police scanner and hears about the shots fired at the Nakatomi Plaza. He appears to not be well-respected or liked by the other people at the news station. (laughs) Yeah. But he's requesting for them to send a news crew down to the plaza to report on it. But eventually, Thornburg, who is played by William Atherton, who you might remember from Ghostbusters, gets permission to take a news truck. Mm. I feel like this man plays bad guys often.
1: Not just bad guys, but also very unlikable. Yeah. Sleazeball type of thing. <laughs> yeah. There's a movie yeah. I love him in, and he plays a great... He's not a villain. It's in a comedy. Is it Real Genius? It's an 80s... Yeah, Real Genius. Professor Jerry Hathaway. I'm looking it up now. He... And it's, it's a fun '80s movie that he's in, and it that came out in '85. In '85, so yeah, he he plays a real jerk in that, and he's really unlikable, and he's almost almost the same character. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. So, it, it,
1: and I'm sure there's other stuff. I'm looking him up. Oh boy, he was in some yeah. heavyweight movies he's too. Like- but uh, yeah, yeah, he's a uh, very unlikable.
0: Yes, he is. He finally does get permission to take a news truck down to the plaza. And by this time, Theo has actually broken through three of seven locks in the safe. So John and Powell start having this open conversation over the radio where John gives Sergeant Powell the lowdown on Hans's crew. There are nine of them left. Hans is eager to get the detonators back from John at this point. And so a SWAT team and Powell's boss named Chief Robinson arrives. And Robinson... Questions if McLean, who at this point is going by Roy, can be trusted. But Powell's instincts tells him that he can. Robinson is like a real butt in this movie. However, he does make a few good points about like, we don't know if McClane is one of the terrorists just playing games with us. But Powell, you know, like I said, his instincts are like, no, I think I can trust this guy. And he also is under the impression that he's a cop based on some of the things Mm -hmm. that he said. So already there's this power struggle between Powell
1: and now um, the Chief Robinson is famous for movie being the teacher in the Breakfast Club.
0: Was he? Oh, he okay. was the guy.
1: He was the guy that had to watch them in the okay. library. I yeah. don't know
0: why I feel like he looked a little different. Okay.
1: Yeah, that was him. And uh, okay, but once you hear him talk, you should be like, yeah, he was the jerk. So he's <laughs> one of those jerk actors, also.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. movie's full of him. Yeah. So at this point, Holly becomes an ambassador for the rest of the group. And she starts asking for some concessions for the hostages. Mm -hmm. And we also see that they're using her office as kind of like Hans's headquarters. And earlier in the movie, Holly had put face down on the little desk behind her, a picture of her and John and their children. Right. So there has not been a connection made between Holly and... John at this point, thank goodness. Right. And she's right. very careful not to use her married name. Right. And so the press, with Thornburg reporting, start to broadcast the news about the situation at the plaza. And for the first time, Argyle becomes aware of what's happening as he watches mm. the news in the back of the limo. So he's just been chilling, and chilling, yep. stuff out the minibar. People are dying. People are getting, <laughs>
1: yeah. cars are getting shot up. Chilling.
0: And he's just down in the parking garage, which appears to be under the building, just Chilling, talking to people on the phone. He don't Mm -hmm. know nothing of what's going on. So he learns also that CB communication is the only form of viable communication. And he turns on the limo CB radio so that he can keep up with what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So in this next scene, the chief decides to send in the SWAT team in an attempt to storm the building against Powell's wishes. Because Powell is like, "Eh," based on like, what I know about what McLean has told me.
1: And I almost got blown away. Right. I got big machine guns and they're organized. Right. And this is another 80s thing about action movies. is always some dumb <laughs> cop that's trying to yeah. be the, the hero that does no host and go in there, guns ablaze Yeah,
0: The chief makes an interesting point. Because he's saying, like, I don't really believe this intel mm-hmm. because these so-called terrorists haven't checked off any of the things on the terrorist checklist. Like, they haven't right. made any demands. They haven't. You are call, even. Right, right. So he assumes that the info that John is giving him is phony. And so the SWAT team goes in, but the henchmen are really ready. The building is extra (laughs) locked down. Theo is using security cameras as their eyes. And they assault the mess out of the SWAT team with instruction (laughs) from Hans to only wound them, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. Why did you think he only wanted them wounded?
1: I guess he still wanted it and not to all out retaliate with all kinds of stuff maybe I don't know maybe you know one the cops to overreact you're killing our guys maybe but then when they retaliate with the, the armored the vehicle I know mm-hmm. yeah I don't think those people were injured inside there I think they were dead
0: <laughs> I think so too I was like okay don't kill the SWAT team but if they come at you with the tank all bets are off I'd like <laughs> right right
1: and then but he said hit it again and i was like okay
0: <laughs> yeah. When the police send in that RV, the henchmen rush to, like, assemble this missile launcher. They destroy the tank. Right. And John starts to get a little frantic when Hans requests that they shoot it again. yeah. Sure,
1: yeah. Now, there's a joke in there that you even said it. I don't know if you called it. What does RV stand for? Recreational, Recreational big yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's not what it was. That was, you know, <laughs> being funny. So it's an armored oh, okay. vehicle. Uh, yeah. Okay. Some people, uh, AV, you will call it an AV. Some people called it... An a tank, or you know, in the military terms and stuff like that. But he was being funny when he says RV. Okay. And nothing I found funny. This is just funny to me. When they're trying to hurry and get the missile thing together, mm-hmm. and they're, so I know I was in Germany, so I know a few words. And Schnell is hurry, quick. So mm-hmm. they keep yelling it, and <laughs> my wife was like, "I was yelling that just to yell it while the movie was Schnell, Schnell, go, Schnell." <laughs> and my, my wife goes, "What is wrong with you?" I'm like, it, "It's just something in me. I just, I just know this part, Okay. And I, it, it just tickles me." <laughs> And then early in the movie, when they were first getting in the building, they're going leaks, rex," which is left and right. The guy's mm-hmm. trying to figure out, I guess they had the building memorized from floor plans, and he's trying mm-hmm. to remember where to go. And there's just a few German words I pick up here and there, and those were a couple of them I just got a kick out of just because I knew <laughs> them. Nice. I And I remember them. They just trigger a little something in the occasionally.
0: <laughs> yes, you're like a, a sleeper agent. So.
1: I have never yelled Schnell <laughs> Schnel-, to you, Kira, when we're going somewhere to- and we're trying to hurry up. Did I not that doesn't bring I wouldn't yell it at you like yes. that, but I mean, I might say, Chanel, Chanel. And Mock Chanel is very fast. I believe so. Yeah, like Mark
0: going Mach yeah. five.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's mighty where to get that from. Yeah. <laughs> <Go> ahead.
0: <laughs> well, I don't remember you saying Chanel to me before. It doesn't. It's not ringing any bells, right?
1: Definitely, now. your younger brothers and sisters are. Oh, uh, that's probably that's <laughs> probably right.
0: <laughs> this is interesting. Powell recognizes that he's like two steps ahead of the rest of everyone else because of the Mm -hmm. intel he's got from John. Like, Mm -hmm. he already recognizes, oh, hey, they're shooting out the lights there. You know, he's like, these guys are more well-equipped than we think they are. You can't just send in a team thinking that you're going to put into this. So while this is happening, Argyle actually recognizes that he is trapped inside of the building's garage. He can't leave because right. all the gates are down, and he's a little frantic. I want to know how much gas was in this limo, because he basically had the car turned on the yeah. whole time.
1: Yeah. But with a yeah. limo, lemos have a larger gas tank, and also he was just idling most of the time, so he, as long as he wasn't driving. but yeah, yeah, I've got a picture of him older, and he looks like not Judge Joe. Who's Joe Joe Brown? Who was the other judge? Other black judge with glasses. Mathis? Up? Yes. He looks like him now. There's a
0: Yeah, I see the picture on IMDB. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he it's does. Like, <laughs> he does but, look yeah. like
1: him. You know, once again, I like how they keep him involved and you know, don't forget about him.
0: <laughs> right. I read that some of the other kind of B characters got more screen time because Bruce Willis was filming another movie. Oh. And so some of the B characters got more developed because, you know, he couldn't be in every scene. Right. I'm trying to remember what movie that was. It might've been
1: a TV show too, because I want to say that TV show was around that same time, Moonlighting.
0: Yeah, you're right. It was Moonlighting.
1: Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Because it was still on the air and doing well, but I think he had to abandon it because his film career took off.
0: So he wasn't Moonlighting anymore?
1: Yeah. He, moonlighting ending in the 89. And I want to say, I don't think it, he was still doing well and I think he had to make a choice now the weird thing about Bruce Willis is he had a weird music career he had like music, music videos and yeah he was singing and it was like rock stuff where he wasn't like you know he wasn't oh, okay. belting out notes or nothing but he was like keeping out and it was just cheesy 80s stuff and cheesy 80s band it was awful but
0: it, <laughs> I didn't know he had a music he, career at all yeah
1: yeah it was really short and it was it was really awful but I just, just thought it was a, you know a fun time to that's right Blind Date was before this That's right Blind Date is hilarious It's like a rom-com kind of movie mm-hmm. And he had That's right He got Moonlighting first I mean he had other stuff He had bit parts in But Moonlighting was 85 And then Blind Date was 87 And this was 88 Yeah Blind Date That's worth a watch If you want to okay. have an 80s laugh And Kim Basinger is in that Okay. She's, she's crazy in that It's a funny movie <laughs> But there's, I guess you can call it an action comedy, action rom com. But yeah, worth a watch if you know.
0: Oh, to check it out. So, yeah, at this point, the officers are kind of getting whooped on by the terrorists. So yep. John becomes worried that more officers will be killed or injured. So he steps into action. And so McLean throws some of the C4 that he found down an elevator shaft, which causes an explosion that kills two more of the terrorists and ends the, you know, assault between right. the SWAT team and the terrorists.
1: Did you think that was a little reckless? <laughs> Did you think that was a little reckless up in? I
0: don't think so because all the hostages were up on a higher floor.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: you mean are, like? Are you saying like it might have hurt the integrity of the building and caused right. them to crash? Cause all, I that's
1: Yeah, I just was yeah. like, wow. And uh, C4 is pretty heavy duty, and you saw it shook the whole thing. So yeah, I was like, wow, that's a little much. But it did calm everything down, weirdly enough. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't start a fire.
0: No, because the that's building true. wasn't
1: on fire. Yeah, so I was like, right. There was a couple of things that could have went really bad.
0: Yes, <laughs> so, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah,
1: so. but yeah, it maybe was it was pretty
0: reckless. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: But it was great action, great exposure. It, it was. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and now the police kind of and the press know that what they're dealing with, right? Like, you know, this is not just. Your ordinary terrorist, right. but Thornburg is like almost wetting himself from getting right. the scoop on this story. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yes, really excited by it. Yeah, and we learn from the press that Gruber actually was a part of like a weird movement or party in Germany, but he was expelled from it. It's really mm-hmm. interesting when you have like a party put out a statement like he's not with us
1: anymore. <laughs> right, right.
0: <laughs> I thought that was pretty yeah. funny.
1: Right, yeah. So he's you too hardcore. You got to go. Yes. But evidently it probably was really him being greedy, wanting mm-hmm. like, let's do something let's makes some money, you know. Right.
0: And, and his and party was probably more focused on a cause or right, a political. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Maybe he, he was money. just too psychotic for that. <laughs> <Who knows?
0: laughs> I didn't find him to be psychotic or unhinged. He just wanted money. I didn't yeah. find him to be super crazy. He he felt low key reasonable. But to he me. was
1: a sociopath, you know, where he shot her boss. Holly's boss, and he's a sociopath, definitely, but uh, yeah. unhinged. He couldn't have been too unhinged to be running that operation. You know, right. You know, yeah.
0: But yeah, there's a, a funny exchange <laughs> between John and Deputy Chief Robinson on the radio when John oh, chews yeah. him out <laughs> for like not listening to him. Right. And this is where I start to question what Al, Reginald Bill Johnson's character, what his role is. He just comes across as like an emotional support person. <laughs> and maybe like a liaison but yeah. he's not really effective at being a liaison because they're not listening to him
1: yeah but that goes they're still showing you that the police chief is a jerk and he's not going to listen And but have we mentioned who Reginald Bell Johnson is popular for we just said oh it, Carl just Winslow said it. yeah you did <laughs> mention that was pretty cool regardless yeah, I always thought that was pretty cool to see him in a different light. Wasn't he a cop on that show too?
0: He was, He yes. was, yes. we am going to talk right. about that. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But okay. Holly's coworker, Ellis, does a bump and gets some courage. <laughs> <She's> right. <laughs> gets some courage to negotiate so he and the other hostages survive. He really thinks John is putting them in danger. So he tries to do this weird sales pitch to Hans, gruber he also says something a little racist so
1: <laughs> yeah
0: but ellis claims that he can give john to gruber which is a bold statement i was like right. where do you get this kind right. of confidence
1: and also you got to think not just he's going to get everybody he just wants to be the hero he just and john. it's probably holly and wants to show up john for holly mm-hmm. so i yeah. think that's part of it too
0: But right as Al and John are kind of fooling on the radio, getting to know each other or whatever, Hans interrupts them to announce that he knows exactly who John is Mm -hmm. and where he works. And when Hans hands over the radio to Ellis, John becomes afraid that Ellis has run his mouth, which would endanger Holly. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, Ellis claims that John was his guest and that they Oof. go way back. So right. for now, Holly is safe. Right. But when Ellis I forgot of failed, that part.
1: I forgot that he had switched it up. I was, I was like, well, he's just going to tell. And I said, oh, yeah, he doesn't say that. So he's not yeah. a total dunce, but right. still.
0: I think his goal was to be like, I have enough social capital with him to get him to give himself up. Uh-huh. Or to demonstrate to Hans that, like, I know this guy. I've known him for a long time. Yeah. I can convince him to give himself up. But, yeah, that was actually good for Holly. But when Ellis fails in convincing John to surrender, Hans kills Ellis very easily, really quickly. Mm, right. And personally, I'm not sad. Ellis was annoying. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs>
1: and you would it from the beginning. Like, something's going to happen to him. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But-
0: john however does tip hans off that he wasn't at the party with ellis mm-hmm. and that he has a different connection to a different hostage in right. the building the chief actually feels like john let ellis die while powell thinks that he did all he could to save ellis what's your opinion
1: well i think he just knew cop dealing with people knowing a killer when he hears one that he was going to kill him anyway yeah yeah i don't think Yeah, you know, i think it's and if, or if they had to kill somebody, he'd be the first one, like in negotiation to prove mm-hmm. a point, I guess this guy would have been the first one, but he wasn't, because I mean, I remember John was there when they negotiated with the boss. Remember he heard all that go down because mm-hmm. he was in the next room. And, uh, so he knows how Hans operates as far as once you get information or even if not, he's got a backup plan if I don't need you. So yeah, I think he just knew he, he wasn't going to let that guy survive.
0: Yeah. I think that makes sense. Well, Powell and the chief get into like a little bit of a power struggle, but Hmm. just then... Hans contacts the police with demands for different terrorist group members around the world to be released. This is obviously a red herring. Mm-hmm. As we know, he's a thief and not a terrorist. So Hans gives him two hours to make it happen. And we find out that Theo is only two locks away from cracking the safe. So outside, the FBI arrives. The agents are both named Johnson. <laughs> that is so funny to me. Yeah. Like, whenever they introduce themselves, Agent Johnson, Agent Johnson, no relation. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're obviously a white guy and a black guy mm-hmm. and like. black <laughs> <laughs> it's not related. I just find that to be. Funny. And
1: those guys are stock guys from '80s and '90s movies, especially the white guy, mm-hmm. the senior guy. He, I don't know if you know his face. It's got like bad acne, that's mm-hmm. you know, or scar. I know what you want to call it, but he's always played some kind of tough guy or bad guy in all kinds of movies yeah. from the '80s and '90s. And the black guy, you've seen, he's been in a couple of things too. Mm. But I don't, yeah, just a face you I couldn't, not enough to, for me to pick him out to name a movie. But you've seen them around.
0: Okay, well, in a lot of shows and movies that involve the police officers, they always draw this stark contrast or this dynamic between the police and the FBI. And depending on the viewpoint of the main characters, it changes. They never get along. The Mm -hmm. FBI come in and, like, have a takeover spirit, and they think the police are idiots. But if it's from the police officer's viewpoint, it's like, we know more about this. You all don't know what you're doing. Blah, blah blah Like it always comes up and yep. I don't know how true to life it is. It's like, right. why it aren't you all coming. collaborating yeah. as opposed to
1: <laughs> right
0: this weird. And
1: I watch police shows and then when the feds come in, they, they, they're going to do it their way. They think they're better. They got more resources. And, right. but it, it's all, like you said, that, Always seems to be the case.
0: Yes. But while checking the explosives on the roof, Gruber actually comes across McLean and pretends to be an escaped hostage with an awful American accent. What did you think about him changing his accent?
1: His accent was pretty bad.
0: Yeah, I didn't like it. It was pretty
1: bad. I didn't (laughs) like it either. But that's a great. And since this movie, people, that's happened. This movie started the terrorist or the bad guy impersonating the just a victim, I think. I don't remember before this, but. It's a great little twist. I liked it. I was mm-hmm. like, the accent was horrible. But yeah, I, I liked the idea, but just the accent was for me. It would always, it, ugh, I yeah. never did like it.
0: Well, yeah, McLean and Gruber talk with each other. And I feel like their dialogue is really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a cat and mouse if both of them were cats and both of them were mice. Right. Something about it also comes across as I'm not going to say this right. And I'm, I don't think I have the right words to verbalize it. Something about it comes across as this weird, almost flirtatious kind of talk, but not in a romantic sense. In okay. like this way of like, I guess flirting with danger, that kind of in that yeah. kind of sense. Something about it, like the lighting is low, the way they're looking at each other, it's hard to right. describe. It's like I said, it's cat and mouse would probably be the best way to describe it.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. But John feels uneasy and he knows something is up, but he decides to give Hans a gun. And he's like, you know, hey, use this if we come across some bad guys. Mm -hmm. Hans basically immediately turns on John. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hans attempts to shoot McLean from behind, but he finds that the weapon is unloaded, obviously, and is saved only by the intervention of the other terrorists who he's called to come and, you know, get him.
1: Right. Now, part of this makes sense and part of this confused me. He asked the guy his name, and he said, my name is Bill Clay. And McClain looks on the the building roster and see a William Clay. So I'm not sure. Did that tip him off or that made him think he was legit?
0: That is a little confusing to me as well because they made a a point to look at it. I think the problem was is that Bill Clay was on the 29th floor and the party was on the 30th. So he was not supposed to be. So maybe
1: there was another company. Right. Right. So we believe that tipped him off. So I think so. McLean said, oh, he just pulled that off that board right there. Probably. Because at first I thought it was real smooth. I said, wow, Hans has memorized all the people's names in this corporation. And if I, I'll i just pull one from my memory. So I was torn. And even when I watch it this time, I'm like, so, okay. So that was a difference. St- okay, I got gotcha. you. So he just pulled that off there. And that's what chipped John off. Because I don't know why I thought later in the movie he would say, or at the end of that, he would say, well, you were good, but your act. Yeah, you know, I thought he revealed what what made him know he wasn't who he said he was, but mm-hmm. it never happened. So I said, I don't. Yeah, it been a while that since I've seen it. That was a,
0: a little it, so. bit confusing because if it is the Nakatomi Plaza, then anyone in the building works for that company, probably. So right, so I don't know. Still been yeah, an employee just working. Right,
1: with right. So I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. throwing off.
0: I agree. That is pretty like unclear. Right. So. Yeah, the other terrorists come to rescue Hans, and McLean ends up escaping, but he is injured by the intentionally shattered glass Mm -hmm. that they shoot out everywhere because he is still shoeless. And And Hans picked
1: that up when he was talking to him as William Clay. Right. uh, So that's an iconic scene that comes up here, yeah.
0: But unfortunately, he leaves behind the detonators in, you know, all of the hullabaloo and the shooting. Mm -hmm. At this moment, Thornburg's news team is able to get a lot of intel on John, Mm -hmm. including where his wife lives. And that comes back later. But Theo has made it through the sixth lock and is waiting for Hans to work his magic to get through the final lock. When John is picking glass out of his foot in a bathroom, why was this bathroom so nasty? Did you recognize it?
1: I didn't notice, I didn't think of that. I was too focused. well, remember part of the building was under construction? But and it maybe, wasn't like,
0: messy like construction. There was like newspapers on the floor, paper cups and paper towels and it just looked messy.
1: It did, because, no, that was an office floor because of the, yeah, those were cubicles and little glass offices. Yeah, I was too focused on him picking the glass out of his foot. I was too yeah. too freaked out <laughs> about it. And Erica was like, every time he ran with bare feet and they showed it, she goes, oh, I can't do it. I can't. He's running around barefoot. She couldn't handle it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. But when John is picking the glass out of his foot, we hear him having a conversation with Al about how Al accidentally shot a 13-year-old boy who mm-hmm. had a ray gun, which... Is like too close to home a little bit, but yeah. we don't know if the kid died. They don't say, right. but Al is really remorseful about it. And he can't really find it in himself to pull his gun on anybody anymore. So now he's a desk jockey as they call him. Right. So the FBI at this point orders the power to be shut off to the building, which as Gruber has anticipated, disables the final vault lock so the team can collect the bonds that they were after.
1: Right. Which was pretty ingenious. You know, I, I still great story how they all pulled together and you had a little mystery yep. of that. And then you had the little backstory with Powell, which was good, which made a little sense on how he was, you know, it made sense on how he was at, you know, he had a little, you can see he was a sergeant. He had sergeant stripes, but. You didn't get the sense he was like on the street all the time. So this just backed up all of that. And I, th- I thought that tied together really well.
0: Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. At, at this point, the tank top has basically melted off and Bruce Willis is totally shirtless. So <laughs> right, <laughs> the right. tank top is gone. Um, the FBI ends up claiming that they agreed to Gruber's demands for a helicopter, intending to send a gunship or gunship helicopters to eliminate the group once they get to the roof. But Hans intends to blow up the roof when the helicopters arrive, which is also a part of the plan.
1: Yeah. And remember, John goes and goes, why was Hans up here? And he goes back and sees the whole thing wired. And then you get the whole, I love how that's a reveal. You know, like, oh, wow, that's what they were doing. Oh, man, they're going to kill all those people, you know. And then you think, well, how are they going to get out of there? And then you find out a little later. So it's, it's pretty good.
0: Right. So, yeah, McLean ends up sending a message to Holly through Pal about how he should have been more supportive when she had her career change and that she's the best thing that's ever happened to him and that he apologizes for being a butt or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, Thornburg is at Holly's house threatening the maid with deportation (sighs) if he can't talk to John and Holly's kids. And I was like, this man is awful. (laughs)
1: Right. Right. (laughs) He's really, really real piece of work. He was.
0: Yeah, he is awful. But like you said, McClain realizes that Gruber has plans to blow the roof and kill the hostages and to uh, fake his team's death. So Carl, Mm. who is enraged by the death of his brother, Tony, attacks McClain right as he's about to tell the cops about the explosives on the roof. So he doesn't really get the message out just that there's a double cross and they don't know what that means. So John and Carl end up fighting. And while that's happening, Hans sees the newscast showing Holly and John's daughter asking for her parents to come home. Mm. And now Hans realizes that Holly is John's wife and she's Mm. now a bargaining chip.
1: And Holly sees this too.
0: Yes. Holly does see it as well. Everyone sees it Mm because it's on a a TV in the office. Mm -hmm. So the hostages end up getting taken to the roof while Gruber keeps Holly with him. Mm -hmm. Somehow her shirt eventually kind of pops open, which is ridiculous. I (laughs) I don't know if you
1: noticed that. I didn't notice. We did have our gratuitous 80s nudity when they first got there. And a guy and a girl went out of office. And they always, I said, you got in the 80s, you always had, you know, it was rated R. It's going to be rated R anyway. Let's put some boobs in it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: There was also a poster that was up in, a nude poster or a topless poster. But that also
1: was um, also for like a Hansel and Gretel thing for him almost. I mean, he went out a different way when he was coming back and he was, where am I at? Oh, nude poster. And he touched it like, he goes, okay, (laughs) good. Thanks, girl. Or whatever. He says something or (laughs) he acknowledges it. And I think that's what it was really there for. He knew, okay, this is where I'm at. Okay, I can go this way. Yeah. So, but- 80s movies, you know, as a young man, I didn't hate it, but they always said, <laughs> you're going to get some boobs.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I see that. So Carl ends up shooting John in the shoulder, which I did not remember. Yeah, but after was, a really, yeah. like, intense struggle, Carl is seemingly killed by being hanged with some chains mm-hmm. in, I don't know, like a stairwell or something. leading. Yeah, up. I like that
1: kill scene. I was pretty creative. Yeah, I thought
0: that was pretty good, too. But
1: it was, it, it was like a pulley system, so right you can pull stuff up to the next level and he just, you know. It was a little weird that they were fighting going up the stairs. So I was like,
0: "Yeah, yeah." I mean, I like
1: that was a little weird. But then okay, so we had to get to the change and get up high. Then. Okay, but okay.
0: Yeah, but McLean ends up going back to the roof and driving the hostages from the roof using a gun. Unfortunately, that kind of makes the people in the helicopter think that he's one of the Shooting. terrorists, right? Which, because he is, during terrorist things, so I, <laughs> I don't know what he expected. But the hostages leave the roof mm-hmm. and head back downstairs to safety. And the helicopter is circling him, trying to get him. And now this is the point where I'm like, something's off because the FBI. Why were Johnson and Johnson in the helicopter? How did they get to the helicopter? Because they were on the scene downstairs, ordering for the gunships to come. Right. I but guess then, they, well, Next time we see them, they're in the helicopter. Yeah, they
1: did. The, the little continuity there was a little. I guess they went to it to come. You know, and he had like a. A sniper rifle and he put his hat backwards mm-hmm. and he was kind of show that he was a sniper and he was going to take a shot. There yeah. was gunships when you, the gunships, it's got a machine gun, but that's not precise. So it looked like he was going to be the sniper if they needed it for somebody to do some precise shooting from a helicopter, which is pretty uh, impossible anyway. But anyway,
0: speaking of precision. They were saying that they would be fine losing 20 <laughs> right. to 25 percent of the hostages. <laughs> yeah, right. That
1: was awful. I was like, Ooh.
0: to take out the terrorists. Yeah. I was like, oh, these FBI guys are very unlikable. Right. Tons of unlikable Ruthless, people yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, at this point, John sees the helicopter and knows they're probably going to be after him. So he uses the like fire hose on the roof to escape and he almost dies. <laughs> because, Fantastic
1: stunt scene. That's classic. Yeah. yeah.
0: The roof is detonated. Mm-hmm. And the helicopter is destroyed, mm-hmm. killing both of the Johnsons. Right. And John almost dies when the thing that's holding the hose to the roof the, falls. The wheel.
1: The, uh, um, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And so he's able to, like, break through the glass to get on one of the floors. But then when the little wheel <sighs> falls, it's really heavy and almost drags him
1: and, out of the building. And it's a little comical. So in, yeah, still it there, is. So you get that. But uh, one, yeah. that's one of the greatest stunt um, scenes. I don't know how they did that. That was pretty cool. That's probably my but favorite scene. My favorite stunt in the whole movie. I love that.
0: Nice. Well, more things blow up in the building. Kind of unexplainably. I was like, what's happening? I was gonna mention that. Did, did you
1: did you like the explosions in this movie?
0: <laughs> oh, I thought they were, fantastic. they were fantastic. I thought they were No were CGI. Really good. Yeah, it was I, all
1: uh contemporary I, type done stuff and it was they were pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I think the elevator shaft bomb. I really liked yeah. that one. Yeah. How it came back. Oh, yeah, and like, oh,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, and he was like, "Oh, yeah, another." Yeah, he makes comedy out of action, but without you did not always need a one-liner or some mm-hmm. dialogue. He just his expressions and his his physical physical acting is is yeah. great.
0: Yeah, I agree. So yeah, meanwhile Theo. Goes downstairs to the garage, parking garage, to retrieve an escape vehicle, which is actually an ambulance mm. that was loaded into the back of a larger truck.
1: Which more planning, so which the ambulance help. won't look suspicious. Right. And right. they still couldn't have got all them hostages in there. Uh, not hostages, the henchmen in there.
0: They were already planning to lose a few of them.
1: <laughs> I, I guess, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I guess so. Yeah, I guess so.
0: Okay, so while Theo is trying to retrieve this escape vehicle, Argyle, who is in the parking garage, sees this, and he actually crashes the limo into the ambulance Mm -hmm. and knocks Theo out.
1: Mm -hmm. Little black-on-black crime. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The two black guys in the movie got to fight, really? No, (laughs) I messed up with you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Nah, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he had, so, yeah. that was a good um, tie tie together uh, with that guy. Because we thought he was going to go. And I was like, something's got to happen to the guy. I don't like him. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> Yeah, he was just a, annoying. Because mm-hmm. there were certain parts in the movie where he was kind of, when he was like, when the SWAT team came mm-hmm. and he was being the eyes mm-hmm. for the team using yeah. the security cameras. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that he was saying were just annoying. And Boom, sack uh, the quarterback
1: or something. I'm like, ah, you cornball. Yeah, it was like.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Yeah, but this point in the movie, a weary and battered (sighs) McClane finds Holly with Gruber and his remaining henchmen. Mm -hmm. John is pissed off that he realizes that this was all about money as he sees some of the bearer bonds. Right, it's a little more than six hundred million dollars in bearer bonds, and if you adjust that for inflation, it's about one point five billion dollars today.
1: It was a lot of money. Now speaking of the heist, we got Alan Rickman does has a great line, and he kind of glosses over it and cuts himself off. It was such a great line. When Holly's in there in the office and she realizes they're robbing the place and she goes, "You're nothing mm-hmm. more than a common thief. And he runs up there and puts his face in hers and says, I'm an exceptional thief. <laughs> you didn't hear that? Yeah, it yeah. yeah. was a fantastic <laughs> yes. line. Uh, that was one of my yeah. favorite lines in the movie. And he says something right after where he kind of, if he had just said, I'm an exceptional thief, it really would have landed. But then he says something right after it to the effect of, and I'm going to get what I want or something. But I uh, love that line.
0: Yeah, that was a a good yeah. scene because he kind of almost crawls over to her. On right, the right, steps. right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah. yeah. it was actually a little freaky. Yeah. But yeah, McLean ends up surrendering to Gruber and is about to be shot when Han says "Yippee ki yay, That was so funny. Yeah. He sounded so bad. Right,
1: motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, yeah 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 yes i'm sorry you have to believe that so funny <laughs> but to me yeah yes. yeah buddy. yeah he, uh, the accent is because he's british doing a german accent but then he's trying to sound american and making that sound it was funny
0: and it's like a russian doll of accents, right
1: right like. right and it's all mixed <laughs> together yeah
0: <laughs> yes. But just as Hans is about to shoot McLean, McLean grabs his concealed service pistol, which is taped to his back, and uses his last two bullets to wound Gruber and kill his. Accomplice. Now you remember the scene now, before
1: he was in the bathroom, and they show him look at the tape because he taped it to his back. There was a roll of yes, tape, or there was right. a thing of tape, and then yeah. Mm-hmm. So they kind of show it to you, and you're like, again, great.
0: What was this? Right, about?
1: Why, why are they showing us yeah. tape? And then you don't see it right away when they're talking. And right. then you kind of see it when his hands are in the air, and I'm like, "What is that?" It took me a while. I remember when I first watched it. What is on his back? Cool scene, really cool.
0: Yeah. Okay. Here's a, another thing. I don't know much about guns. For whatever reason, I thought the bullets, the last two bullets he had, because there was a point where he
1: he does take it out was
0: a, in the area, mm-hmm. and he takes two bullets out of a gun. But the gun he had in his hand was one of the big ones. I feel like the gun that he took the two bullets out of were from the magazine of one of the larger guns. I don't remember. But when he shoots, Hans, it's a pistol. It's a handgun. It's a pistol. Yeah. And I was like, those bullets aren't the same.
1: <laughs> now, some of them might be interchangeable. If it's a nine millimeter, I'm not that familiar with guns where it could be some machine guns, uh, the pipe or shoot nine millimeters. So, and most likely the handgun was nine millimeters. So maybe. But I don't remember him switching, you know, if that was. I don't really remember there's two bullets left. I remember him looking at magazines throughout, be like, oh, how many bullets I got left, but but I'm not sure. Good question.
0: Yeah, I don't know. But, anyways, he grabs the service pistol and he shoots Gruber. Gruber kind of falls backwards through a window, but instead of just falling to his death, he's actually still holding on to Holly and he's holding on to her wrist where her Rolex mm-hmm. is.
1: And I really didn't realize the significance of that until yeah. I just watched it this <laughs> time. I said, okay, this is. The Rolex was brought up earlier and it you know, it's kind of a something you notice later.
0: Yeah. But McLean ends up unclasping the watch mm-hmm. and Gruber falls to his death. His expression is very priceless. Yeah. Uh, but he, you know, falls to his death there on what thirty first yeah. floor. So about thirty stories, which is about three hundred feet to his death.
1: Yeah, that's a classic. That's classic from the movie. His face and the falling backwards. Yeah. And now I also uh, noted that when they show him a body falling from from the people on the ground watching, you can mm-hmm. tell that's a real stuntman. The way he's it's not a dummy, it's not CGI. And I was like, wow, stuntman had to do that. That was amazing to me. <laughs> I was like, and I want to say I watched <laughs> the making of this or something, and they they made it a point that stuntman so and so and what they had to do and this and that. It was really involved, and I was like, that was pretty cool they been not Oh,
0: nice! I didn't pay attention yeah. to that, but it makes sense. Yeah. But well,
1: the bad part of it though, when you he's and he's falling backwards. You can see the screen behind him is a screen. You know, that was kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. That was bad. I mean, CGI would have. That's one place CGI would have been better than. I don't know what they call it it helps, back then, the a yeah. green screen or a drop screen. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they call them, but.
0: Yeah, but yeah, once Gruber falls to his death, John and Holly make out feverishly. Mm. It's weird. He probably smells <sighs> awful. He's yeah. covered mm-hmm. in dirt. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But we see the kind of aftermath outside of the building, mm. right? The building has been right. blown up multiple times in multiple locations. There's dead people falling from the sky. The bear are know, falling. Did you, you notice know the bear are
1: falling everywhere? <laughs> I
0: saw it was paper, but I couldn't make out if it was bear or not. It just looked For, like I think it was, paper to me. It looked blank.
1: Because the vault was upstairs, right? And they blew up. Remember, you said these things were blowing? I'm thinking, it seemed to me that would, they had it on a cart or something. Remember, they were putting it on a cart. I think somehow that mm-hmm. I really don't understand how they got out there, but I assume that's what they were.
0: I thought it would be too. But when I took a look at some of the papers that were falling, they were just okay. blank. And I was like, this is the office. They yeah, have paper. Okay. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I couldn't make out if it was the actual bear bonds or not. But yeah, there is stuff falling from the sky at this point. There is emergency vehicles and news yeah. people. And, you know, it's very Man. crowded down at the bottom. And so Holly and John you know, meet up outside and John comes across. (laughs) This is where, this is what I'm talking about. In this movie, there are these weird moments whether it's between Hans and John or John and Al, that almost feel romantic, but in like a platonic way. There's a moment where they show Reginald Bell Johnson looking at John before he comes to introduce himself. And it's almost like seeing the person you love in a crowd. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> I never got that. I just saw the connection between two cops that been through the hiring <laughs> thing together. But and isn't it this is kind of strange, that you mentioned that. I think isn't it Reginald Bell Johnson gay in real life? Am I wrong?
0: I think, I think so, so. I think so. <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it just felt just the way the scene was shot, it just came across as if you know, like in a movie when a, a husband comes to see if his wife is has okay. survived a, yeah. you know a thing or vice versa, whatever. The way it was shot it was like these scenes feel romantic sometimes i don't know how to describe it i just thought it was freaking hilarious but he connects mm-hmm. with al and they hug like their old friends and i'm like how much did al really do besides just talking to he drove him?
1: that car and almost died almost killed himself but uh, yeah <laughs> but i also guess he kept them informed and you know that helped them with some stuff i thought he did enough but for them to maybe the book was a little more involved or something Maybe have a little more conversation. Maybe.
0: I don't know how effective Al was like on the ground because they didn't really listen to him. I think he just came across as like emotional mm. support, I guess, for,
1: for uh, John, yeah.
0: yeah for John. And I feel like I guess that's okay. Just something about their relationship I do think is missing. So maybe there yeah. is more in the book. But anyways, when Holly introduces herself to Al, she actually uses her married mm-hmm. name, mm-hmm. Oliver McLean. So you know, you rescue me and yeah,
1: we're back mirroring. Yeah, there's hope. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. So Chief Deputy Robinson, this is the absolute worst time to do this, accosts John saying, You destroyed mm-hmm. property and you got mm-hmm. Ellis killed. But right then Carl takes off a cloak mm-hmm. or something and ambushes McLean and Holly and he ends up getting shot dead by yeah. pal. So he was affected. Yeah,
1: yeah, in the end. Yeah. So I think he was on a stretcher and they would covered him up. Maybe they thought he was dead.
0: No, he was upright.
1: Was it? I don't know why.
0: He had some type of cloak over him to hide that he had that big gun.
1: Okay. He was upright. I don't know why I thought they were escorting him out as an injured person. Okay.
0: Somehow he got down from being hanged and came out and got ready to shoot. Everybody dropped to the ground except for Powell. Powell killed him and he's no longer Trigger Shy, apparently. So... When Thornburg approaches Holly, she punches him in yes. the face. Hilarious. For, <laughs> as she should for interviewing her kids without her permission, putting her life in danger. So he gets his just desserts. And just then Argyle crashes through the parking garage door mm-hmm. in the limo and drives McLean and Holly away yeah.
1: together. Yeah.
0: And yeah, happily ever after. Yeah, I guess. yeah.
1: pretty good ending. And you got to have the one bad guy that, I wonder how that, that probably was for the movie, I would think. I probably wouldn't have to book how that went down. I don't know, I'd like to find this book and read it.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be interesting. Well, that's the end of the movie, y'all. And at the end of every review, we ask the questions. Is it worth a rewatch if the movie holds up? But this time around, we have an additional question to ask. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Dad, what do you think?
1: Worth a rewatch? Definitely. I mean, I could rewatch it probably every five years. And be like, oh, this is a fun watch. It's probably the last time I've seen it probably at least five years ago. And I've probably seen it at least twice a decade since it came out. And mm-hmm. even after I got out of the army and you wouldn't just run across it in somebody's room or somebody playing it. But,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I think it's definitely worth a rewatch. What do you think about the rewatch part?
0: For sure. No, yeah. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it. I'm Like I said, I watched it last year and I watched it this year as well. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. The story really flows i think even with the fact that it's 35 mm-hmm. years old i don't think it's aged no. poorly and
1: it, and really. the, the action is good the temporary explosions mm-hmm. and the stunts the the look it has a look to it and i don't know if it's this director but it has a, a look to it it's got a la feel to it and uh, done really well and i wonder if that it helps that it was all in one place maybe so that was mm-hmm. pretty good
0: so you agree that the movie holds up?
1: Right? I think it holds up, definitely. Definitely holds up. Yeah. It, it, the fact that people don't have cell phones, that helped, that they can call for help. So mm-hmm. that works. So it it holds up. And it's you know, not too much problematic stuff in it. I mean, the 80s tropes of commercialism and, you know, mm-hmm. excess and mm-hmm. bring down a corporation. I think that was there's a little a couple of messages in there, but greed being one of them, but mm-hmm. it holds up.
0: Yeah, I think so too. What about it being a Christmas movie? What do you think about that?
1: It is because the music in it helped it. And then I just watched it last night, which is almost, it's, it's late November. And it, it feels Christmassy. It, it's action, but it's weird. You just know it's Christmas. And make it, like so they make it a point. And then you've got the ho, ho, ho on the sweater. And they don't bring it up too much later. But even being the packet, he was headed home for Christmas Eve, I consider it. A Christmas movie. I don't think most people would in traditional sense, but that's a good time to watch it. What do you think?
0: Okay. So for me, like I said, I definitely think the movie is worth a rewatch. Definitely feel like it holds up today. As far as it being a Christmas movie, I'm going to say no. Personally, a lot of times I like to think of things in the movie as like additional characters. Mm-hmm. For instance, like if a storm happens, I feel mm-hmm. like that's like an additional character in the movie. In this film, it being Christmas is just like an additional character or just like a setting Mm. in this movie. It's not central to the story. Right. I think the only real purpose it serves is to explain why there aren't very many people in the building at Mm. this time. Okay. Because it's just a Christmas party. Right. And it may help explain why he's come back to visit his family during this time of year. Okay. But it's not central to the story. So like Home Alone, it being Christmas is central to Home Alone. Or A Christmas Story or, Mm. you know, other common kind of Christmas movies. This movie could have taken place any time of the year. It could have been a 4th of July picnic Mm. that they had. (laughs) The movie came out in July. So it wasn't intended to be a Christmas movie. And it could have been any other... Holiday. It could have been like Mm -hmm. a a little Thanksgiving party that they had to me because it's not central to the story. It's just like a little element that helps explain a few things. It could have been New Year's. Like they could have been having a a New Year's Eve party. It could have been any other time. Yeah. 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 It still would explain why he would come to visit family, you know during new years it yeah. would explain why there weren't very many people in the building yeah. i think you could set this around any other holiday and it would be just as impactful
1: and what makes me think it because when they replay it it's around christmas too so they kind of force it on you when it would come on tv mm-hmm. it would come on at christmas time somewhere in the uh, yeah so that's the one reason it feels like it to me just the time frame watching it mm-hmm. for itself not at christmas but the time i've I see it, I relate it to Christmas time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel like, the, yeah, it's associated, but I don't find it to be a Christmas okay. movie. I can okay. watch it I agree with that. any time of the year, okay. yeah. But I feel like the cadence of the story, the characters are solid and kind of well-rounded for the most part. We understand their motivations. It's like a really good action film that allows a number of the B characters to still shine. Mm. So we get to see Argyle and Powell quite a bit and learn more about them, Mm. less so about Argyle. But Bruce Willis does a great job bringing this character to life in a way that's like still cool Mm. and funny without it being corny. I really enjoyed rewatching it. Mm -hmm. And I also found that like the people of color in this film weren't monoliths, but they still kind of fell into some stereotypes. So for instance, law enforcement is often used as an acceptable career for black men. (laughs) Carl Winslow was also a police officer, Mm -hmm. as you pointed out. If you remember in the Terminator movie, the first Terminator, that the cop was a black man Mm -hmm. as well. If you pay attention to a lot of these Movies that involve law enforcement mm-hmm. or even the military. There are tons of black men. We got Bubba from Forrest Gump. <laughs> like there's a lot of <laughs> examples of black men being in those types of roles, either in the military or in law enforcement. So it's a little bit of a trope, but it's not necessarily negative.
1: It's not. I don't think it is because there's. it's kind of true. There's black people everywhere doing stuff, but they're getting work and they're in there. As long as they do a good job and I believe them, it's however you want to put them in there. That's cool with me.
0: Yeah. Well, they also have the young, hip-hop-loving black guy. That's like Mm. a little on the nose. Yeah, that was was
1: an 80s thing. That was an, yeah, Mm. yeah. So.
0: Yeah. But like I said, they did also have Theo, who was a criminal, but a smart one. Right. So So they had
1: two different, yeah, they had different guys. And then they had the FBI guy. Yes. As I looked it up in the thing, it called him Little Johnson. (laughs) 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 And the other guy, Big Johnson. It's weird. But yeah. And the Asian guy, how did he get killed? He shot, did he shot him?
0: I think he got blown up in the C4 thing.
1: And I was so happy. Every other movie I've seen him he comes in doing some karate stuff.
0: And when (laughs) I first saw him in
1: this, I was like, oh, man, they're going to use this one Asian guy. He's going to come and start (laughs) flying high kicks and doing karate. But he didn't. I was like, "Okay, that's good. He was a guy eating a candy bar. He had a little comedy. Remember he was was the one getting a candy bar. He was eyeballing
0: that candy (laughs) bar. He was like,
1: oh, yeah, let me get some of that. But it's one of the funnier comedies. There's another quick scene where John does something. And the hostages see it and probably goes, that's got to be John. Only John McClane can make you that mad. Right. <laughs> said, yeah. Oh, That's pretty good. That's a good line.
0: Yeah. Yep. Oh, I also want to point out that Hans Gruber is an excellent villain. Excellent. Who, yeah, was playing the long game. He manages to still be like frightening and mm-hmm. like come across as like a little bit of a sociopath. Yeah, but, cal- but also still kind of has his wits about him. Right. Like he's still very smart. Yes. 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 Right. And Mm -hmm. you can tell he's very smart. He's like brilliant enough to pull off this kind of complex plan Mm -hmm. that has a lot of moving parts and that like heavily relies on certain things and that's why he had to pick terrorism because the FBI were going to cut off the power to the building and it's like that's the long game. Like you have to play chess to be (laughs) be on his level.
1: That's probably one of the top five villains of all time in movies I would say. Movies I've seen. He's very quotable, very calculating and and he talk about long game. That money, like he told them, he goes, "We're going to be sitting on a beach somewhere, you know, and don't yeah, never have, yeah, yeah, don't have never have to work again, basically." <laughs> so, fantastic. Yeah, and girl. he was
0: saying, you know, the only way to get away with this amount of money is to you, make sure they you, think you, we're already dead. Yeah. So yeah. So, like I said, he was playing the long game, and while he was brilliant enough to pull off this complex plan, there's really something. To be said by the fact that he was kind of foiled by this kind of simple, Right. you know, average Joe. Joe. yeah yeah. Yeah. So th- that's part of the whole thing. Like the stark contrast between like these corporate people and what they do right. and how out of place John felt. But he was in the right place to rescue everyone from, you know, that
1: situation. And this is a kind of a theme throughout the franchise. Mm-hmm. Because the second one was okay, but the third one was really good. And, that
0: had Samuel Jackson, right? I and, actually it, really and remember that the
1: nickname one. in the third one they would call him? the Good Samaritan. Okay, and mm-hmm. so it was you know, like everyday Joe, you know, mm-hmm. foiling the bad guys, and that's a theme they fed on through the whole franchise. Yeah,
0: so. I actually really liked the second one too.
1: <laughs> the second one was pretty good. I just didn't yeah. like what's his name being a bad guy, James from Good Times. It oh, the guy me. who does <laughs> John Amos wasn't he a bad James guy? James
0: from Good Times.
1: Yes, he was, he was. Was he a bad guy? I think so, and that bothered me. <laughs> I remember that he was Ooh, part. Oh, why
0: don't I remember that?
1: He was in it, and I want to say he was part of the bad guys. I haven't seen it in a while.
0: I always really liked the little black guy who was helping him, like the air traffic controller. Yeah, guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the second oh. one was okay, but I really enjoyed the third one. But what I noticed, the director comes back for the third. He wasn't the second director, but it's oh, okay. part two. He did part three and maybe part four. But uh, okay, great launch a great franchise,
0: and yeah, Bruce Willis
1: has got some roles that. I know you loved him, Fifth Element.
0: Mm-hmm. Fifth
1: Element grew on me. It was good. He's got, plays a hitman the whole nine yards. Awesome. That movie took me by surprise. That's pretty good. Sixth Sense, he played a different kind of guy. Uh-huh, that's true. More recent was, not more recent, but most recent. Looper was really good. He had some bad roles in there also in between, but Bruce Willis was good new staple. I'm hearing awful things about him now. He's, he's got dementia. He can't speak something about it. He's out here. He's really in a bad way right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, yeah. definitely a leading man in the action field that everybody should go and check out some of his movies.
0: Yeah, he's a, a national treasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a really good action star. But I like that the movie has a feel-good ending, like everything ends well. There were a number of twists and turns that we weren't expecting. When I first watched the movie, I was like a little shocked that Mm. about the power outage thing. I was like, oh, that's super smart. And there's lots of explosions. So, you know, (laughs) it has lots of action and the story carries through the entire time. And basically everything makes sense. Right. So it's super well done. And I completely understand the hype. And I am a fan of this movie. Definitely. So the critics at Rotten Tomatoes gave Die Hard a 94% and the audience did the same. What do you think about that rating?
1: Definitely when it came out, that rating fits. I mean, to know the hype that nobody knew anything about it. And then once it came out, people were like, you got to go see this. You got to check it out. The action is great. The story is great. This, you got this villain and a cop. It, everybody. For that impact, uh, yes, the rating goes great. And even, the, yeah, no doubt. A great rating.
0: I agree. I think they're right on point with this. Oftentimes, I find Rotten Tomatoes is tripping.
1: But mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but I think they're right on the target this time. Yeah. Well, all right, y'all. That is all for today, Home Slices. Thank you so much for listening to the Die Hard movie review featuring my dad. Did you rewatch Die Hard recently? Does it still hold up for you? Is it a Christmas movie? Share your thoughts with us on social media, on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. We want to hear from you. I want to say a super special thanks to my dad for being here today to share his thoughts on this classic action film. Say bye.
1: Bye, dad bye guys thanks for having me
0: of course join us next week when i review harry potter and the sorcerer slash Philosopher's stone featuring a special guest you don't want to miss it peace out peace Thanks for listening to Submedia Reviews. I hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane just as much as I did. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like me to review next, or if you just want to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Pinterest at Submedia Reviews and on submediareviews.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps me improve the show and spread the word to new listeners. So until next time, peace out, home slices.